He has him killed. This mighty man of God. This wonderful man of God. David then takes Bathsheba as his wife. Bathsheba isn't stupid. She knows what's going on. And so David is here with Bathsheba and he, he gets the girl at the end. Isn't that injustice? David gets the girl. And Bathsheba's still pregnant. And then what ends up happening is that there's this man named Nathan. He comes up. And he comes up to David and he says, David, can I tell you a story? And he's like, yeah, sure, Nathan. And Nathan says, there was a poor man and a rich man. The rich man had many sheep. Tons and tons of sheep in his flock. And then the poor man, he had this one lamb. He loved his little lamb. This is his only lamb. The rich man had a guest over and to feed his guest instead of taking one of his sheep, he, he stole the lamb from the poor man and he fed his guest. And David is infuriated. <laughs> David's like, we got to get this man killed. <laughs> right? He's like, we got to get this guy. Who is this man? And Nathan's like, are you a dodo? What a, are you kidding me? This is you, David. You have, David, you have several wives, right? You have, you have, you can pick whoever you want, but you took Uriah's wife. You took the poor man's lamb. And David then is undone. David is undone. And Nathan says, your child's going to die. Your child's going to die. It's not going to live through birth. And David falls flat on his face, tears his robes, and doesn't eat for a day and a night. He doesn't, all he does is mourn and weep over the consequences of his sin. That's all he does, man. He's on the, fa- on the floor, flat on his face, banging on the floor, saying, God, please help me. He's crying, he's weeping, he's fasting, he's not eating anything. The the servants are coming, David, we have to eat, you have to be healthy, we're at war, we need you as a leader. And David is just weeping and mourning and fasting over this child and over his sin and over what he's done. And the child dies. And then, we see in 2 Samuel 12, 20, David just gets up it says right here he says David arose from the ground washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes David after all this morning he got up took a deep breath he washed himself off put on a robe and went back to business this is why this is a metaphor Because Jesus, once we are undone like David, once we are undone, once we face just all this sin that we've been a part of and uh, and all of the brokenness in our life, which is either equated to what we've done ourselves or what other people have done to us. Maybe it's a mixture. Maybe it's more dominant on one or the other. But once we mourn sin, the mourn the sin that others have committed against us or mourn the sin that we have committed against God or other people when we are undone, What Jesus will do, he will bring us up just as David arose. 
He'll rise us from the grave because Jesus died and he rose again. And whoever is in Christ Jesus is now risen a new creation out of the ground. As David rose off of the ground, so we rise out of the ground. And then what happens is that he anoints us, Jesus anoints us and washes us with living water. He bathes us in his righteousness and his word and with the water of the Holy Spirit. Just as David took a bath, he washed all of his uncleanliness off. He washed all of the sweat that he had been mourning with, all the tears. He wiped it all off. And so Jesus wipes you clean and white as snow. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus doesn't stop at just washing you clean. He then clothes you with righteousness. Just as David then put on his robe, so Jesus clothes us with righteousness. Jesus then puts on his righteousness on our account. So we're not just morally neutral anymore. A lot of the times people are like, oh, Jesus forgives me of my sin. That's great. Jesus doesn't just forgive you. He then gives you his righteousness. He gives you his blessings. Blessed are those who mourn because eventually they're going to be clothed with Jesus's righteousness. Jesus will give them his righteousness and that will be a comfort. Have you ever just been super dirty and and you just feel so comfortable after a nice shower and putting on clean clothes? It's a great feeling, isn't it? Jesus does the same thing to us. And I'm going to close with this. Christians cry. Christians cry. I'm trying to just work in my heart and in my head just the fact that Christianity has become this stoic religion has it not I I feel like many times you know we feel like stoicism and an emotionlessness (laughs) that's even a word is holiness but it's not Christians cry Christians weep, not at the loss of success or money or reputation like the world does. The world will, will mourn the loss of money, will mourn the loss of reputation, will mourn the loss of their successes and their position. That's what the world does. But us Christians, no, we don't cry over that stuff. We don't cry over the loss of reputation. We don't cry over the loss of money. We don't cry over the loss of a position. We cry like the tax collector at the altar. We cry like David in the face of the death of his child. Falling apart is essential for being built up again by Christ. We must first be undone before Jesus can make us into something even better. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who sorrow over sin. Sorrow over the brokenness in our world because what will happen is Jesus will come up, come alongside us, bathe us in his righteousness, clothe us in his righteousness. Desperation for God is necessary. And what happens is it it, it produces something that only a Christian can have. Mourning over sin and being poor in spirit and humble, it actually produces something awesome. It produces something amazing that only a Christian can have. And it's called a humble boldness. It's, it's a boldness that says, I have nothing apart from God. I really don't. I'm not that great. I have, I have nothing apart from God, which is where the humility comes in. But then I have everything as a part of God. I have nothing apart from God, but I have everything with God. 
And this is a humble boldness that we work through. And, and there's a confidence in those who have the gospel. There's this confidence. There's amazing confidence in those who know who they are in Christ and flaunt it, man. Romans 8, 18. I love this verse. It says, for I consider that all the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Meaning this, all of this suffering, all this pain pales in comparison with, to what Jesus wants to do in our lives and through us. Meaning that we are not the remedy to this broken world. However, Jesus is going to use us as a tool to fix it. Okay? Jesus is going to use us as objects. He's going to use us to build up this world again. He's saying all this suffering in the world doesn't even compare to the amazing things Christ wants to do through you. Christ wants to radically change your life. You know, if you really let God move you, you'll be surprised where he takes you. God will bless those who cry out for him, who worship him with a desperate heart. Desperation for God is key. We can't have our righteousness and God's righteousness, right? We can't have both. And so I'll close with this. Isaiah 57, verse 15. The high and lofty one, this is God, who lives in eternity. The holy one says this. I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. He's saying, I chill with the people that are contrite and humble. Okay. Jesus is saying the, my posse, the people who are going to be hanging out with me in heaven. They're going to be the humble ones. Because then I can show my power to them and they'll appreciate it and they'll do things with it. I will restore the crushed spirit and the humble. I will restore them. And then in verse 18 through 19, I have seen what they do, but I will heal them anyways. I see all the wrong that they do. I'm going to heal them anyways. I want you despite your sin is what God says. I will lead them. I will comfort those who mourn. This is the Old Testament bringing words of praise to their lips. May they have abundant peace both near and far, says the Lord who heals them. I'm going to have the worship team come up and I'll close. God wants you. You guys know that? It's like God wants you. He desires you. He adamantly pursues you, relentlessly seeks after you. God wants you, but he wants you to want him. God is a gentleman. He's not going to enter into your life unless you ask him to, right? He's not, he, he's not going to enter into a life that doesn't want him. God wants you. Do you want him tonight is what I want to ask. And as we sing tonight during worship, we sing from a place of mourning and poor in spirit and humility. And if you have not received Christ, if you have not known that joy, if you have not known the amazing confidence that comes in having the God of the universe at your back, guiding you, then I want to invite you tonight to receive that. And, and I, don't want, I don't want anyone to just raise their hands or, or, or do an altar call. But what I'm going to do while we worship, and we're going to start worshiping soon.
I'm going to have Dane over here, and I'm going to have Emily over here, two of our leaders. And what's going to happen is if you want to receive Christ, or maybe you just need prayer, right? If you just need prayer, and you feel broken, and you're mourning over something, and you need prayer, pray with the person next to you, or come up here. Dane will pray with you. Emily will pray for you. I will be there to pray for you. If you want to receive Christ tonight, if you want that power behind you, If you want to be in the kingdom of heaven and recognize I am sinful and I need God, then you can do that tonight as we worship. You can be a part of the revival of this world. So we're going to turn off the lights and we're going to worship. Dane's going to be up here and Emily's going to be up here. I'm going to be up here. And for those of you who want to worship God through communion. Communion's up here, symbolizing the blood of Christ and the body that was broken. So the body was broken for the remission of sins. God, Jesus was slain for you. Jesus died on the cross for you. He died for you. And his blood was spilt so that we may be covered and God will accept us into his kingdom. If you want to receive that tonight, receive it. If you want to pray tonight, pray. But what I would ask for you is this. It says right here, bringing words of praise to their lips. May they have abundant peace both near and far, says the Lord who heals them. God has healed you tonight. God wants to heal you tonight. You are suffering. He wants to build you up. And what we're going to do now is that God is going to give us praise words tonight. He's going to allow us to enter into his presence and worship him for the mighty God that he is. Amen. So we're going to stand, we're going to sit, we're going to lay on our faces, we're going to bawl, and we're going to cry at the face of the cross tonight. And we're going to do work with God. I'm tired of just doing church, right? Let's meet God here tonight, amen? Lord, we love you. I pray for those who want to receive you tonight, Lord. I pray that they would come up here. I pray for those who are mourning and are broken, Lord, maybe who already know you but need prayer, Lord. I pray that they'd come up here. And for those who just come here to worship, Lord, I pray that they would worship unreserved, no chains, not worrying about what the person next to them is is thinking about them, Lord, but they would just adamantly raise their hands and raise their voices because their God is awesome. You are awesome. Praise you tonight, Lord, and thank you for all of these people. In Jesus' holy and undeniable name, we pray, amen. So